Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, you know, they say the world is not enough. But I think I found the perfect place to start. We have a very special guest joining us this week. Who do we have? That's right. We are talking to Denise Richards, who, of course, played the iconic Dr. Christmas Jones in the 1999 James Bond smash, The World Is Not Enough. I am still shaken and stirred that this actually happened, but I think without further ado, Cam, roll that interview. Joining us now on the show, and this is a sentence I never thought I'd get to utter, it is the one, the only, Denise Richards. How are you? Well, thank you for the introduction. Uh, I'm good. Thank you so much. How are you? All the better for seeing you, for having you on the show. We've got tons to talk about, tons to talk about. So we're going to glide on into James Bond in a little bit, because that's we talk about spy movies on this show. So don't worry, there'll be lots to talk about. But I think a a really interesting question to talk about early on is, you know, you're an actor. What interested you in becoming an actor in the first place before you got into Bond or anything like that? Uh, I don't know. I think it was ever since I was a little girl, I always enjoyed movies and, you know, would uh, play, do different silly little plays when I was a kid uh, for family and then took drama class when I, you know, started to get a little bit older. But I I just always was, uh, I don't know, I just always had a a passion um, for it. And so even early on when I would get rejected, well, first my, when I got my SAG card, my first two jobs were, um, uh, Doogie Hauser and Saved by the Bell. And that's how I got my SAG card. And I thought, and I got, I booked those back to back and I thought, well, this is, this is easy, <laughs> uh, you know, to book a job. Well, I quickly learned it wasn't, and I would get rejected many times, <laughs> but I always say with all the rejections that then the job that I would get, it made up for all the no's because it was just something I loved and was very excited to do. And, you know, before we get to, to Bond, there's, a, there's some very big films in your filmography before that point. I think of things like Starship Troopers, Wild Things, yeah. fantastic films. But do you think there was a role that Thank you me. had very early on that put your name out there? Uh, for sure, I think, uh, well... Two, uh, Starship Troopers and Wild Things came out within months of each other. So I, when you, you know, I did, uh, I did a pilot for Aaron Spelling mm-hmm. that we, it was on, you know, the height of uh, Melrose Place and all that. And so all of us thought that it would get picked up and never got picked up, which was a huge disappointment for all of us. Uh, and then, you know, I got uh, Starship. We were very lucky because the budget was enormous and they were hiring pretty much unknowns uh, for those roles. And then shortly after that, I got uh, Wild Things, and but Starship and Wild Things came out within months of each other. So those two combined, I think, is what really changed my career as far as they were movies that came out in a movie theater. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> it wasn't a pilot that didn't get picked up or it wasn't a, a guest starring role on a show, which I was always, always grateful for. But mm-hmm. those were the ones that changed my career. 
Did it feel like a real whirlwind period? Because you've been working for quite a while, but to have such big projects land so closely together. Yeah, it was. It was definitely uh, overnight, pretty much. When people say, you know, oh, it happened overnight. No, the that that project that changes your career is what I believe can um, happen overnight. So it, it was. It was very, it's a very um, surreal uh, situation when, you know, people, uh, start to recognize you and, you know, your life changes a lot, a lot that way. So, uh, it, yes, I definitely saw that and felt that. And did you feel that in like your personal life as well, by the time those two films had come out, were you being recognized in the street and that sort of thing? Had that happened by then? Yes. With those two movies, it did. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to come back to those films afterwards, but I think let's let's tackle the core film here, which is James Bond. That happens just after these films, to be fair. Quite connected, I would yes. say, in terms of the casting. Yeah. But maybe before that, were you familiar with James Bond before The World Is Not Enough happened for you? Uh, I, I've said this, and I can't believe I've admitted this, but I had never seen a James Bond movie before. Wow. Uh, I, before I know, before I auditioned um, for it. And, uh, and actually, so I auditioned quite a few times and then I had to go, I will never forget this. I had to go to London to screen test with Pierce. They were bringing like, I don't, I think there was like five or six of us actresses and I'll never, I remember it was being, it was over Thanksgiving and I'm a very close to my family. And so my dad came with me Mm -hmm. to London uh while I had why screen tested and it was uh which I'll never forget those are memories I'll never forget uh with him and going there and auditioning and so that was in November and I believe it was after I don't actually no I think it was before Christmas I just remember I was doing an uh, an interview for a magazine when I got the call that I actually got the part so it was very surreal and then I called my agent and I said, why is this on CNN that I'm a Bond girl? Like, it's never been in the news that I was in a movie before. And he's like, do you not realize how big this movie is? I, I'm like, no, I, I was so ignorant with that part of it that I did not realize the magnitude of, of the franchise. I quickly learned. <laughs> Now, did you go back and do any viewing of old movies or did you decide? Oh, okay, yes, I, I did. You did. Okay. I thought you might want to like even, yeah, stand aside and be like, you know what? I don't want the pressure to bury me. I'm just going to go in. Well, yeah, no, you're right about that. Like there was a part of me that didn't want to um, go back and watch stuff in a way for m- me doing the part, but I wanted to educate myself on the, on the franchise. and you know, we shot from January to June. Um, and then the movie, they do a quick turnaround. They sure they have a very well oiled machine and, uh, Michael and Barbara Broccoli, they are incredible. Uh, and then the, you know, the movie came out in November and then I went on a press tour. That's really when I really realized the magnitude of the, of the movie and the franchise and the fan base and, uh, how loyal the fans are, and it was really, actually, really wonderful to see how happy they they are with uh, you know being fans of the movie it was something that I hadn't experienced before. 
Did you have any sense of when you got hired? Like what clinched the role for you? Uh, honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I really, in hindsight, probably should have asked what, what it was because I don't know. I know that, and I don't even know who else to this day who screen tested mm -hmm. because they kept us all very separate. They were, they were very generous in flying us out there. Like I said, they brought my dad out with me and I wasn't even, I wasn't underage, so they didn't have to. So it was very kind of them to do that. And uh, we didn't see each other. They would just put us through hair and makeup. And then we did our scenes. I was so nervous and then flew home. And then when I, once I was home, I, I uh, found out. So I don't know what it was, what really got me the part, quite frankly. I was just so grateful it was me that got it. <laughs> and what was that sort of screen test like with Piers Brosnan? Probably the first time you've met him, I imagine. Yeah, it was. I met him for the first time doing a screen test. Uh, it's very daunting and intimidating. And it's, uh, it's you know, as an actress, it's, was, it, it's scary. And I was so nervous. I had such anxiety. And I just said, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'll, I'll do my best. And I'm just so grateful that I made it, this, you know, this far in the process of auditioning. And this was such a different time for like, you know, NDAs and secrecy. What were they telling you at the time about the character? Um, I believe I, I can't, I mean, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. I believe I was, I did read this, the entire script. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe it was just but you know, I don't know. Maybe it was just scenes. I that part I cannot remember. It might have been just scenes. I don't know. Um, but then when we did get scripts, you know, like a lot of projects, your name is like across all of them to where sometimes when you're reading it, you're like, okay, to go through the my name to see the words of the script. So that happens a lot too. But I can't remember if I only got scenes. I I would have to imagine it was only scenes and not the entire script. Were, I mean, obviously, they spoke to you about the character of Dr. Christmas Jones. They, they pitched it to you. You had auditioned for it. But what was your sense of the character at that time? And did it change by the time you'd filmed the film? Uh, no, I, I believe, you know, I, I, she was very uh, consistent with what I auditioned with. And, um, and like I said, I apologize if I don't know if it was the whole script. It was a long time ago. Or if sure, it was sure. just scenes. I imagine it was just scenes. But, you know, I just love that she was this strong, feisty woman. And it wasn't um, what I envisioned. And again, remember at this time, I hadn't watched one Bond movie. But of course, I was aware of Bond girls. Mm. So I liked the fact that she wasn't just showing up in the, even though it was their beautiful, the beautiful, glamorous dress and everything, that she was, you know, the character was a scientist, which I know a lot of people gave me a lot of, uh, I got a lot of flack for that, like that I didn't look like a scientist wearing short shorts and a tank top. But I was like, well, you know, I, I could have been in the, you know, red gown showing up as uh, the scientist. So I love that, you know, my character was wearing, even though it was shorts and a tank top, it wasn't, I, I felt like she had a little bit of, um, you know, she was a bit more grounded and, um, 
I don't know, a, a little bit more real. And um, I don't know if that's the right word, but I just, uh, I just felt that she was strong and feisty and fun and uh, didn't care, you know, what she looked like. Hmm. It's also like a ridiculous criticism because as far as I know, most secret agents don't walk around in tuxedos. <laughs> well, exactly. And when I got a lot of flack, I said, okay, I'm playing a Bond girl. It's tongue in cheek. Hmm. If I was really wearing like a lab coat and doing all of that and was, then people would say, well, why isn't she a Bond girl? <laughs> so whatever. But it was very hard when that movie came out because I did get a lot of flack for it. And uh, it was not easy for me with the magnitude of the press that I had to, that I did. And to go out there knowing people were making fun of me, that was the first time in my career uh, that I had to deal with something like that. And it was very, very difficult for me. And I just had to put a smile on my face and go out and do talk shows and and then travel the world when I would go to my hotel and cry because the reviews, they were making fun of me and saying stuff. It was very, very difficult. How much do you think that had to do with the actual movie versus like, I don't know, perceptions they had of you as an actress at the time going even into the film? Um, you know, God bless his soul because Michael Apted isn't here. Uh, but I'll, I'll never forget him saying because there was a couple of changes I wanted to make when we were filming and he apologized to me for not letting me do that. And, uh, and it meant a lot to me that, you know, he did that. So, you know, I don't know it, regardless of all that, I am so grateful and um, proud that I was part of such an iconic franchise. Um, so that I will, it's a, you know, you, you never forget it. So I'm very grateful for that. And, and I'd say conversely to the criticisms you, you've received, you know, if anything, you're showing that people, the women in like in STEM can be this beautiful, you know, person dressed beautifully, can do all these things. They can do anything they want, basically. And you embodied that on screen. I think it's a, a perfect encapsulation showing that women can do anything. And that leads into the film as well, because it's got two female leads, including a female villain, which Bond films hadn't done before. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, so just about sort of preparing for the role, did you do any sort of training at all, like or any research for the role? Because there's some pretty physical scenes you had to go through. Yeah, well, I worked with the stunt coordinator, um, Vic Armstrong, on... Um, starship troopers which i was so grateful for because it's uh i felt comfortable with him and you know it was because like i said it's a very daunting process and after i got the role i remember it was in november then after christmas i had to fly out there i brought my mom out there where i had to find a place to live and it was very exciting for me to find like an apartment in london for six months and to be able, but it was also scary because with Starship Troopers, I, there was such a camaraderie with all of us because we were around the same age and the same level of our career. And I was actually very intimidated doing Bond and no one was my age. Um, I was the only American, 
I believe that was working on it. Um, you might know more than me, but I'm almost positive. So I, I was the youngest one. So a lot of them would go home at night to their family and stuff like that. And when I did Starship, we would all hang out. And when we were on location, we're like having dinner together and running our lines. And it was a very different dynamic with that movie. So it was, uh, there was a, you know, I was alone a lot and it was a different vibe and energy and that sort of thing. But it was also, I really appreciated the, um, what a well-oiled, it's very well-oiled machine. Barbara Broccoli was so amazing. She was so great with me and I loved her so much. Um, but the, a lot of the preparation for the um, stunts, we, we did, you know, <laughs> right on set. And it was uh, a lot of the water, there was a lot of water stuff which was um which was very challenging at times to do <laughs> and i'm curious you know in terms of the, the scale of the production did it feel like a fairly easy transition going from something like starship troopers into bond or did bond feel like very different uh well bond was very different I, I i mean starship was a huge scale as well and that was mm -hmm. um a six-month shoot as well so the same amount of time filming uh the difference for me, like with Bond, there was two or three crews going at once. So sometimes we'd be shooting uh, with the first crew with our, you know, dialogue and stuff like that. And then we would have to go to another crew to do a lot of the stunts and that sort of thing. So it was, the scale was, was, was bigger, but a starship was enormous as well. So that part of it, they kind of were, you know, was a little similar too. Now, we mentioned Pierce Brosnan uh, briefly when you did your sort of screen test, but you're now on set, you're filming the film with Pierce Brosnan. What was that like and any sort of particular memories from working with him? Oh, he's a class act. He's so nice, so sweet. Um, I loved his hair and makeup guys. They were lovely. They were fun to go. To. <laughs> they were nice to like hang out with too. And he, um, Pierce is um, a little clumsy. So I found that kind of endearing about him because people would recognize him as being Bond and this and that. And there was just something that was so endearing about him that he, he wasn't always, you know, in the suit and this like, he he's um i don't know he's he's really funny and he's a very very endearing and engaging and just uh super grounded he and he was lovely and what was it like working with him just in terms of the process of creating something about like a playful dynamic in the movie because you come in about the halfway point and the electric character that storyline's pretty heavy in many ways you know your stuff is kind of counterbalancing that in lightness i just like to know about setting that tone with him there wasn't a lot of surprisingly we didn't do a ton of rehearsal uh before we started shooting which is why i was extremely intimidated because i was also working with sophie marceau who's this you know beautiful french actress who's done films that were very different from what i had done 
so I, <laughs> there were times I didn't feel like I was even worthy to be there because I was working with Michael Apted and Pierce Brosnan and Sophie Marceau. And so I was, uh, uh, many times I felt very <laughs> like, um, I was, act I was very intimidated by it and I would be scared sometimes <laughs> going to work. My first day on set, I think I had one line and I was up all night, could not sleep because it was with Judy Dench and I was terrified. She couldn't have been nicer, but <laughs> I was so scared that I was going to screw up my one line that I had to say that day. And it was my first day of shooting. That's a, quite the trial by fire with Judy Dench down on, <laughs> yeah. on the yeah. first day. Oh yeah. I don't want to mess it up. No. I was watching an interview with you on or the press tour. You actually mentioned the press tour. Uh, watching it on YouTube earlier today, and you mentioned the anxiety of going on set in a big production that Bond has. How did you deal with the anxiety? You just deal with it. It's like every every job is different. You know, with um, with Starship, it was I had the camaraderie of all of us actors being like, "Oh my God, we're in a movie that's going to be a movie theater." It's not a pilot that's not going to get picked up or, you know, a movie that may or may not end up. This was a huge movie, but I had that that uh, safety net and the camaraderie with all of us actors that were around the same age and level in our career. And it was so fun to have. It was like camp, that movie. And then, you know it's uh there's different anxieties and then when i did wild things it was the first time i was ever going to do anything that was nude and i had anxiety about that or and then you know uh bond it was like a huge epic franchise like so i i think i think every actor has anxiety at some point or another when you do a role or whatever and uh and you just deal with it and sometimes that's good Sometimes it's when you're scared, it's actually good where you can just say, okay, we're going to go through this and just do it. And you have to be strong and just do it. So, you know, that's, I, I think a lot of actors <laughs> and directors and producers get anxious doing different projects. Even, even guys interviewing uh, Denise Richards get anxiety sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no need to. <laughs> And I had a question about your dialogue in the film. Your character has a lot of the techno babble in the film, describing yeah. nuclear devices and all that. That is a huge challenge. And we've talked to other actors who have experienced real struggles trying to get their character across <laughs> while also tackling that. What was your approach? I wanted to just be as real as possible, but know what I was talking about. So obviously I had to look up half of what I was saying um, <laughs> and learn how to say it and just, you know, try to make it as natural and as, as much as possible. Now, I, I just want to pick up on something before I move on for a question. You mentioned some suggestions you made to Michael Apted about things that your character could do. What do you recall what they were at all? I, I remember, I don't know specifically, but I remember it had something to do with the the first time my character meets Bond. And I remember, and like I said, I feel terrible even saying this because like I said, God bless his soul, he's not here. But I, I do remember I wanted to shoot it a, uh, a different way 
Um, and, and I remember him coming up to me, um, saying that he wished he had let me do that. I can't remember what it was at the time, but again, it was so long ago, but I do remember that part of it. So, you know, but it is what it is and things happen and I wasn't upset, you know, I'm, I'm very easygoing too. And I am also so respectful. Like he's such an incredible director that I trusted him too. And I'm okay. If you feel that I should do it, that I, I understand. And I respect that. So, um, but I can't remember exactly the exact specifics of it. Oh, sure. That, that's not a problem. Now the, the question was, I was going to ask after that was about that one of the final set pieces, that submarine uh, sequence with the water you had to deal with. That, yes. I imagine that was quite the challenge, but what was that like? That was a very, very difficult. Um, it is so tall, like, in, like very, very high. And I had to climb down. Um, I shot that with second unit and I'll never forget this because they have to put so much chlorine in the, um, in that water and, and it sets off a gas and it, it's extremely hard to breathe. And I'll, I remember when I started to go down, I couldn't, um, I couldn't breathe. And I was like having a hard time and I climbed out and the, the stunt guys. And then Vic said to me, it's because of the chlorine. Um, it uh you just you it took a while to get used to it it was very difficult for me to do that i asked them can we just do it with like no chlorine in the water i didn't care and they couldn't because um of bacteria so that was the hard it wasn't the water moving and i can swim really well i used to be on a swim team when i was younger so it wasn't the swimming it was the the amount of chlorine in that confined space that I had a hard time uh, dealing with. It was very difficult to breathe in, and that. Plus it dried out my skin. And when I got on the plane home, I was like, oh my God, this chlorine is not good for my skin <laughs> <laughs> or my hair. <laughs> and how long were you shooting that sequence? Uh, well, we did, it was off and on. We had to do different parts at different times, like different, you know, you there was a part where I, I believe where there was like a, the hatch and we were in there and there was water underneath us. But for me, the hardest was when I was in there and hanging on to something. I'll never forget where there was a lot of water. That was the one that was the hardest. And then when I was off the dock, uh, jumping into that pool, that was actually great. That was good to film, but it was the confined space <laughs> with the submarine. When you're shooting in those sort of circumstances, when you wrap those sequences, does everyone just kind of breathe a sigh of relief that it's over? As an actor, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how everyone else was. I was like, because again, there was three units going with this movie and they are, that's why I say they're a well-oiled machine. It's a six month shoot. And we started in January, wrapped in June and the movie's out in November. That is unheard of for a huge movie with all the special effects and the stunts and everything that it's unbelievable that they're able to you know put a movie out like that so quickly after wrapping and a sequence you know speaking of effects i would love to know just from the point of view of shooting it the pipeline trolley sequence 
in terms of getting that across? Because I'd just like to know the logistics of shooting that. Uh, we were, you know, we were just outside there. They had these huge things. I think we were in Spain for that. And, um, you know, you just do things in bits and pieces. And I actually now with all, especially with social media, you do, I, you see so much more behind the scenes and I really, really wish that we had more behind the scenes stuff. And, and maybe there is more footage that someone else has um somewhere but it because it is interesting to see like how we shot that and stuff and i do think that the audience they want to see like how is this done how do you do that especially now but um now with all these movies you know there's other ways for us to show you know how it's done behind the scenes but we just didn't have that and so we you know we did it uh we had to do bits and pieces of it was it basically just like a rig with green screen around it? We did. I believe we did both. We did. I believe we had stuff while we were on the physical location. And then we had to do green screen uh, in the studio to, um, you know, to cut it together. You're taking me back so far. I'm trying to remember <laughs> how the hell did we shoot that? I don't know, really. But I do. I'm. Um, recalling that that's what we did i could be wrong and if someone from bond i am so sorry if i am <laughs> saying it's wrong i apologize this is what my memory is of it <laughs> you were in the film they weren't in the film therefore your argument wins. well i don't know i i mean i i remember i believe that's how we did it but i could be wrong <laughs> <Fair enough>. <laughs> sorry <laughs> and did you have to prepare a lot for like stunts you talked about working with the stunt team but was there any major stunts that you kind of had to pull off uh, you know, I, it was kind of like, we also would, whatever I was comfortable with, I would do. Mm -hmm. And, but like I said, there wasn't like a ton of like training prep wise with that part of it so much, but because I worked with, uh, Vic Armstrong mm -hmm. and, um, oh my God. Oh, he was so amazing too. He's, oh my God, I feel terrible. Anyway. Um, they, they also knew what I, you know, that I'm comfortable doing stuff. I'm not like, oh, everyone, you know, I will do as much as I can, as much as they'll let me, really. Right. And if I couldn't do so, I'd be like, you know, I'm not one of these that will jump out of an airplane or climb. I wish I could do what Tom Cruise does, like and climb down the side of the big building. I'm terrified of heights. There's only a certain amount I would do with that stuff, but. Uh, but I would still try. <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course, constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Well, Scott, we're going to grapple with our midlife crises by watching the 1976 sci-fi classic Logan's Run, and then we're going to ponder if we're more man, machine, or a fusion of the two. And if that sounds 
delicious. Then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. And I suppose sort of looking at the film now, you, you spoke about press. This is what happens with Bond films afterwards. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of press. There's a lot of world premieres all around the world. What was that experience like? Because that's quite the whirlwind tour after oh, production. It's really actually, it was so incredible because it was so wonderful to see the all the fans that would come out. I went all over the world to promote the movie and to see every country that we went to and how um, they were so excited and and meeting all of us and seeing the movie. And it was actually really wonderful to see that we made a, a ch- an impact and, you know, something that meant a lot to all the fans. So that was, to me, the, one of the best things that I ever experienced with this movie. And whether on the press tour or shooting, I was wondering if you had any memories about Robbie Coltrane, who passed away last year. I know. Yes, I, I he was one of the nicest actors I've ever worked with. And um part of the the sequence when I had to, you know, jump off the into the water and um he was uh he was just really lovely. He was uh, a sweet, such so sweet, so professional and um and so just so nice to work with. So I was uh, obviously extremely, um, you know, it is very sad to hear about his passing. And uh, he was just a wonderful, wonderful man. And I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to work with him. I suppose my final question about the film before we sort of move us on and wrap us up a little bit is, you know, in the rearview mirror now, it's been 20 or so years since this film came out. Just are you surprised by its legacy and sort of what's your most en- enduring memory from your time making it? Once I saw while I was doing the movie and saw the um, that it was such an iconic franchise and uh, people educated me um, at the time. My my boyfriend at the time told me and all the, and my agent educated me and my publicist and everyone. They were like, um, I. Um, I'm not surprised that because it's there were so many years of bonds prior to me being a bond girl, you know, so I am not surprised that it still lives up. And and I think it's uh, just a timeless, you know, wonderful piece of uh, going to the movies. And a lot of people would say that they would see bond with like their grandfather. And then they're bringing their kids and their kids. So that's the thing that I think is what's wonderful is that it's very timeless and many, many generations have enjoyed these movies. Well, I'm glad you actually mentioned that. You kind of queued up my question there, which was, (laughs) have you shown it to your kids? Oh, my kids really don't care about the movies I've done. (laughs) That's the (laughs) truth. When I when they were younger, I'd be like, "Oh, do you want?" We would like go through the channels and we'd see someone. I'm like, "Oh, that's mom." They're like, "Oh, that's nice." So um, <laughs> I don't even know if they've ever seen it. Quite frankly, <laughs> I really don't. Well, I I kind of want to jump off of Bond a little bit before we sort of wrap up because I know you you got a busy day ahead of you. There's another spy film you worked on, 
which is Undercover Brother, which is, I looked a little bit at yeah. today uh, with Eddie Griffin. And do, just any quick memories of working on that film? Oh, my God. We had so much fun on that movie. I mean, I love, um, you know, Neil Patrick Harris. We, you know, we had fun. And um, it was just a, it's a fun, silly, campy movie. And we just, we had fun with it. And again, I wish, you know, social media, well, sometimes I wish it was back then. Sometimes it could get us all a lot of trouble, <laughs> but it would have been nice to have all those, you know, vid more videos and more um, pictures and stuff like that behind the scenes. It's behind the scenes for me when I do these projects is remembering the moments with, um, with the cast and the crew. And then I, I, sometimes I forget what was on camera, but I, I'm like, oh my God, I can't, I can't forget like all that stuff that we all experienced and stuff like that. That's what's so fun about doing the job. I'm very blessed and so lucky that I've been able to do this job for as long as I've been doing it. And one element of Undercover Brother I think is interesting is that when I look at your filmography, at a certain point, there's like a very, I think, strong comic sense of like self-awareness that you bring to a lot of your roles, whether it's stuff on 30 Rock, uh, Funny or Die skits all <laughs> over the place. Mm -hmm. And I would like to know about kind of finding that sort of comedic slant in terms of how to portray yourself on screen, because I think it really works in Undercover Brother. Oh, uh, thank you. I, I, I think, um, you know, a lot of times trying to find that self-deprecating uh, way of being that character and doing like kind of like a tongue in cheek um, coming from that point of view for it, the roles. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to know a little bit about just shooting the fight scene with Ingenue Ellis, which was a, uh, mm. a very big comedic point in Undercover Brother. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I remember, I don't know if she remembers this, but it's, uh, it was very wet, so it was slippery. So making sure we wouldn't fall on our ass and hurt ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, the thing is, it's so funny with scenes like that, you know, people a lot of times don't realize like there's a lot of technical choreography and, you know, making sure this or that, but she was so great and we just wanted to have fun with it as much as we could. And Sort of wrapping us up a little bit. The first question I've got is, you mentioned Wild Things, you mentioned Starship Troopers, we mentioned James Bond. If they were the sort of the three lightning rods of some of your biggest moments in your career, what's the one that gets cited back to you most often? Uh, it depends. Like, I, um, a lot of people also bring up Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm. And um, so I get that a lot. And, you know, it depends. But the thing I will say it about those you know i will say with starship and bonds and um wild things and drop the gorgeous i am very grateful that a lot of these movies have been um kind of a cult classics and where different generations have enjoyed watching them and i'm really like i said i'm very grateful that a new audience is discovering them and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a quick last question about Bond. I thought I was going to hear it earlier, but your, the last sort of words in the film is uh, Bond gets a little pun in about uh, about your name in the film, Christmas and twice a year. Yeah, how was that with the performing? Did you just fall into stitches every time you took a take of that scene? Because I imagine everyone just laughing at the end of that take. Where Christmas comes more than once a year? Correct. 
but you said twice uh, I think you're right. I think your your interpretation was right. But yeah, like yeah, was it was it was it fun to make? Was it fun to do? Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's tongue in cheek, and that's the thing that I love about Bond is they stay with their with what they've been doing all these years, and it's not. It's still, I think, a movie that a family can enjoy, and mm -hmm. that kind of uh, line will go over the kids that don't get it. Well, now nowadays probably not but you know what i'm saying like it's something that is you know kind of tongue-in-cheek and fun and you just have fun with shit like that <laughs> if that makes sense it's absolutely right and, and and it brings me home to something i was going to mention because this interview stemmed a little bit from a tweet that me and you were both tagged in um and someone had said about not taking your character seriously and you replied saying being a bond girl is fantasy right it's, it's like a and and that was the perfect encapsulation of it. And I think that really brought it home. And I, I'm glad you stood up for the, the character in that sense, because that's what it is. Oh, thank you. No, thank you. I mean, you know, it's a Bond girl. And I mean, like, I, I did get a lot of shit for it. But I was like, but if I didn't do that, I would have gotten, you know, a little bit of crap for that, too. So, you know, that's what movies are. I remember movies as being fantasy. It's an escape. Mm -hmm. So let's escape and have fun and have a fantasy. So that's how I look at it. <laughs> well, before I let you go, firstly, what are you working on at the moment, Denise? Um, I actually have quite a few things I'm doing. I'm also uh, in the process of uh, producing two different projects as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very lucky that I'm able to stay busy. I stay busy during all the lockdown and everything. And I'm just by, you know, grace of God and everyone and in my life that I'm, you know, able to still work uh, as much as I have been. And the last question, and this has been asked to everyone that's been on the show. Denise Richards, what is your favorite spy movie of all time? I couldn't say a favorite. Ah, uh, you got to pick one. <laughs> there, I mean, how do you pick one? <laughs> It, it, we've, not, we've not managed to do it in three years to be fair but uh <laughs> is there any favorites you reach for i mean i think i was part of one of the biggest iconic spy franchises in the world so they're doing something right and it's awesome that i was a part of it so i don't know i, I don't think i can argue with that option well it's not <laughs> I enough <laughs> i yeah i when when denise richards tells you her favorite spy film is the world's not enough no, you accept I said, that answer. Hold on, I didn't say oh. that. But I just said that I was part of the whole franchise. I That's think they're—it's like the ginormous part of they—they they are spy movies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They are like the—they are like <laughs> the flag sense. bearer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, Denise, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm still not convinced this has actually happened. I may still be <laughs> dreaming. You're so cute and sweet. Thank you. But thank you for your time. It's been an absolute honor speaking with you. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. It means a lot. Absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, you guys. Well, there you go, folks. That was our chat with Denise Richards. I, of course, want to thank Denise for taking the time. And I want to thank Jennifer at Jill Fritzo PR for helping us put it all together. And also, if you really liked what you heard in this interview, we have a ton more in our back catalogue from people like Mariam Darbo, Barbara Carrera, Jacqueline Bissett, Colin Salmon, 
John Glenn, James Bond stars are plenty, and much, much more. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and stick around. But Cam, I want to talk about this interview a little bit, and I want to point out firstly, wow, that was amazing. It truly was, yeah. I mean, when we started this podcast, um, you know, it was a pandemic project. We didn't know what the future held, and I really just never dreamed that we would get to speak to so many of the Bond luminaries that we have gotten to. And this was just such a fantastic experience. And Denise was a wonderful interview. Absolutely. And I, I'll echo what you said. I, I didn't think we would get here. I'm so glad that we are. And I'm thrilled that we get these opportunities and we get to share these opportunities with all of you. So let's talk about the interview a little bit. I mean, firstly, I was just struck by Denise's openness, her generosity, but what I was really struck by is the fact that she'd never watched a single Bond film before taking on the role of sort of one of the leads of The World Is Not Enough. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when we talked to Gloria Hendry about um, shooting Live and Let Die, she talked about also like Bond was not a big part of her life either when she got that role and didn't quite understand what she was signing up for in some ways in terms of especially being so many decades later still being asked about that film. Um I guess it's sort of like that thing where, you know, you'll meet people who say never saw Star Wars, which was always kind mm. of like a miracle when I was growing up. You're like, how did that happen? But you know what? Like, as much as we're obsessed with Bond, it makes total sense to me that uh, not every human being grew up, you know, being bombarded by Bond films. And, and sometimes these things can work in the favor of an actor, not having that entrenched knowledge and expectation built into what they're going to do. And Denise sort of briefly touched on that and, and, and using it to her advantage. Yeah. But it just goes to show that you don't need to have that foundation to make it work. And I think she really does. Well, when you go back to the first interview we ever did on the show with Nicholas Meyer, who wrote and directed Star Trek Two, he was not someone who really had a whole lot of familiarity with Star Trek. And it is kind of irrelevant. We live in this world where fans always want creators to be as obsessed with the property that they are. But I think sometimes that pressure can be a real burden. And I think, like, Denise had the ability to go into this thing, knowing it's big. She understands that Bond is a big, you know, franchise. But without sort of the burden of the legacy hanging over your performance when you're trying to create a character. And it must be a very freeing experience being able to just sort of say, this is the character, let's perform it and, and do my best. Now, and of course, she was you know well-versed in these big sort of productions. She had done Wild Things, but more specifically, Starship Troopers, which was a huge production. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But Cam, is there something you want to highlight? Yeah, one of the things I thought was really interesting was when she talked about after the movies come out, she's doing the press and just how difficult that experience was because of, you know, how savage reviews were, she was very much targeted for this movie. Uh, and I asked her about, do you think it had to do with the work even in the movie, or was there preconceptions even going into the film, the idea of casting her in this role? I honestly lean towards the latter, uh, because it just, I remember this point in time, and it, I'm not a big fan of this kind of pile-on criticism, which feels very mean-spirited, it is definitely aimed at specific people who the press has an issue with. And I do think that's very much the case here. I think the one thing you can take away is, you know, the experience at the time may have been very difficult. And she talked about just how difficult it was to go through this internally and then have to go to, you know, the press tour and premieres and all that with a smile and basically talk about how excited she was to be part of this movie and this performance. But the one thing is, you know, when you make a Bond film, People can say whatever they say when the movie comes out. You know, Denise Richards, 
obviously got a lot of flack. Many other actors who've worked on Bond films have gotten flack before and after. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you're kind of locked in amber. And when you work on Bond, the future of that character is not written during the release date of the movie. The fact of the matter is, Denise Richards will be remembered for decades for this character. There's going to be multiple generations discovering Bond far off down the road that have none of this baggage, and that character is going to endure. And and you think about the world is not enough now, I sort of contextualize it now. It's viewed as quite a progressive piece in, in sort of the Bond legacy. A, a, a female villain, the only time in Bond history that the main villain was played by a female. Obviously, we've had a couple of henchmen like Rosa Klebb in the past. But also having you know, a, a scientist that's usually, again, as Denise alluded to, you know, a stuffy person in a, in a white coat, uh, played by a woman, and a woman that sort of embraces her femininity within the film. I think it's a glorious sort of way of you know portraying a character, and I think it's a real shame she had to experience that at the time. I think it's great, too, that she has a sense of humor about the film. You know, you really get that. Very candid about her experiences. And hasn't pushed it away. Because a lot of people, when they work on a movie or a project that they get widely criticized for, they don't want to talk about it again. They're like, that was an unpleasant experience. I'm done with it. I really give her a lot of credit for continuing to defend the character. You know, she's done that in a, in a tweet that we were uh, tagged in but also jumping on to this interview to talk about her experiences and find the positives in it. And I think that goes to sort of this testament to the fact that she did this interview in the first place. She's still here talking about her time on Bond and proud of it, and so she should be. Definitely. And, and sort of speaking to that point is we mentioned, obviously, firstly, working with Pierce. She had a wonderful time with Pierce, very supportive, a very supportive set, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. But I want to talk about the engine room sequence because that sounded like an absolute nightmare. Yeah, they always say uh, you never want to shoot with water. Uh, and, you know, there's so many <laughs> harrowing stories of James Cameron productions like The Abyss or Titanic dealing with water. And while The World Is Not Enough is not a all-water movie, like, say, Thunderball or something like that, this sequence in the, uh, you know, capsized submarine it looks difficult when you watch the movie and to hear her tell the stories about the actual conditions just sounds brutal i recently watched the documentary for the abyss about the making of it mm. uh, and just fascinated by what they all went through to do that and it's interesting to see that even what is that 10 years later from the abyss yeah some they're still causing problems for actors with things like chlorine in the sets that's all been sort of adjusted for now you think of the avatar the way of water i don't think that cast were dealing with you know having their skin bleached by chlorine no no and i believe the abyss like one of the actors almost drowned like there was a a lot of complications with that one and that didn't seem like it got that extreme on the world is not enough but just like the hearing about the chlorine and the inability to breathe just brutal and also like the prolonged experience because much as we might see in a, a short five to ten minute burst within the film as denise told us it was in first second and third unit shots throughout their entire six months production so she would spend a couple of days in the tank doing that and then she would go do some other scenes and then come back to it at a later date it wasn't as if she and the cast could get it over and done within a very short period of time it was protracted which again just amps up sort of the dread she must have felt going back into it every time i give that uh, scene though points because a lot of the bond films that involve underwater action scenes 
they aren't the most riveting. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the one in the world is not enough really does work. I think the movie really benefits from, you know, some decent action direction going on. And it's really well edited. And I think, you know, despite how uh, tough this sequence was to shoot for Denise and everyone else, it actually resulted in something that's pretty memorable and cool. Maybe not so much the uh, Welcome to the Nuclear Family line, though. No, maybe not that one. But, uh, yeah. Hey-ho, you can't win them all. But, uh, Cam, anything else to mention? Yeah, I just was really interested in hearing her thoughts on, first off, Robbie Coltrane, who passed away last year. Um, he was such a big personality from all the accounts I hear. And it was great to have someone on the show who could actually talk about working with him. And also Michael Apted. Um, she talked about how there was some ideas she had about maybe a couple things she would have liked to have shot differently that she approached him about. And it speaks very highly, I think, to his character and how collaborative he was as a filmmaker that he didn't shut them down. It's like they may not have happened in the finished product, but he was very open to having those discussions with her and considering them and and going back and talking to her about them later. You know, a lot of uh, blockbuster directors, it's kind of the uh, iron fist approach to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And you really get the sense that not just Eon, because she had very nice things to say about Barbara Broccoli as well, but also with Michael Apted, that he was a director that cared about his actors. Yeah, absolutely agree, Cam. And I think it's, it's interesting to also hear, going back to sort of the Robbie Coltrane, it's good to talk to people who have worked with actors who have passed on because their stories and their memories need to be preserved somehow. And much as you know, I enjoy doing these interviews, one of the things I like about these interviews is preserving the stories and putting together these time capsules of people's work. And, and that goes to a lot of our other ones with our screenwriter interviews, our director interviews, all those behind-the-lens people as well. And I, I think that's... a, a maybe an unsung benefit of doing these. And I'm glad we got to hear from Denise about uh, both Robbie and Michael. Yeah, definitely. Because we won't be able to have them on the show to talk about shooting these films. And so it's great to have, you know, their coworkers or colleagues um, come on and actually share their own memories. And let's not forget, Denise didn't just work on one film. She worked on many films. It was great to talk about Wild Things. It was great to talk about Starship Troopers. And it was also great to talk about her other spy film, which we didn't talk about too much because we haven't tackled it on the show just yet, which is Undercover Brother. Uh, I watched a few clips of it today to prepare for this. You watched a bit of it too, I think. But uh, we'll tackle that down the road. But again, fascinating to hear her, her input on that. I am actually looking forward to tackling that movie down the road because it's one that I have definitely heard brought up quite a bit over the last handful of years as a spy comedy that maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves. And again, we want to thank Denise for taking the time to talk to us. She's a good sport about all of our spy jinx, and we thank her for it. I also want to thank Ian Jacklin on Twitter, who kind of helped us put this together a little bit as well. Thank you, Ian. You're a good friend of the show, and we love you. But Cam, the question goes to you, sir. What on earth are we tackling next week? Well, it's funny. We were just talking about Pierce Brosnan with Denise. We're going to talk more Pierce Brosnan next week. We are going to roll right into 1987's The Fourth Protocol, which also, of course, stars Michael Caine. Yeah, I'm very much excited about looking at this film. We've got a great guest lined up. And again, it's one of those sort of sleeper films that people don't necessarily know about. But if you look at that cast, it's made exactly at the time that Pierce Brosnan would have been in The Living Daylights, a very important moment in spy movie history. So I'm excited to tackle it. So there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out the fourth protocol. 
and join us next week. If you like what you heard on the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, what are you, some kind of secret agent? we